0: Let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the paladins of podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck. How to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Side Quests with the Paladins of Podcast, Robin Eli, and today we have with us Derek from Emberwind, which, if I am correct, is not related to Dungeons and Dragons by a long shot. Correct? Uh, no, nope, it's not.
2: Also, hi everyone, Ooh. I'm uh, Derek here. If you need a voice mm-hmm. to associate everything with, and Love um, my particular company took a stab at the role-playing game genre in the sense that, you know, uh, both me and a lot of people that work together with me Have loved the hobby since its inception or as long as we've been alive to enjoy it uh, because not everyone's, you know, that old and we While we really enjoy a lot of the creative fun stuff that's made available through role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons What we didn't like was how inaccessible that type of content was to a majority of its audiences. So our whole shtick and our whole uh, approach towards building role-playing games was from a much more modern angle. We wanted to preserve and maximize all the fun stuff while trying to remove anything that you might deem as work.
1: So you want to make it as easy as possible? That's not what I said. <laughs> so how by removing as much work, how... Mm-hmm. Because, again, I mean, this is coming from somebody who really enjoys a lot of crunchy systems, um, but they they inherently require a bunch of work, whether it be constantly figuring out rules, mechanics, etc. How do you declutter all of that um, without sacrificing anything else? See, that's the
2: fun part. And you use a great term for that when you mention the term declutter, right? That's really what it is. Uh, what we tried to do was we tried to envision a system that anyone could get into, which means it has to be simple at its base. However, at the same time, we also understand that every type of player that sits around your gaming table, you're going to be coming in from different angles. Everyone enjoys different things. Everyone is going to have, let's say, different levels of education, different interests, and so on and so forth, right? So how do you create a product, um, which is effectively the Pandora's box here, that can somehow be something cool for everyone at the same time, right? That's literally the first thing they teach you in game design, which is never do that. Know your audience. Just focus <laughs> on the specific people you want to target, and that's it. Um, but for us, we wanted to reach everyone. Uh, and there's a very specific reason for that, uh, which I can get into later. But um, Much bigger uh, market
0: if you're appealing to everyone.
2: True, true. Though, uh, if if we're talking about marketing, that's one of the things that we do the absolute least and worst at. But I'll get into that as well later and why we um, go that particular approach. But uh, to answer the initial question anyway, um, what we need to do was effectively rethink how rules are done. And the best place to look for inspiration is actually in the modern video game market. There's a lot of cool games there that to fit larger audiences, they give you option sliders. They let you play around with difficulty. They let you play around with accessibility tools. They also let you play around with mods. Right, And we thought, well, what happens if we strip down a system as robust and as wide as your typical RPG system into a one-page rule set and make that the starting point and then make every single additional system an optional one that you can pick and choose to modularly construct your own way to play. And
1: so, yeah, that's... Yeah, go for it, go for it. as, As I'm following along, that takes the idea of modular rule sets and really builds on that so I can pick and mm-hmm. choose and that's built in so that's built
2: in yes okay and we built it in a pretty unusual way because the way that you end up constructing your rule set doesn't have to match everyone else in your group to play with them
1: okay oh. can you, how, how can you expand work? on that
2: yeah <laughs> so um, the secret behind emberwind and its sauce is that it's built, utilizing psychological statistics. And a part of that, the the crux of it is known as normalization, where we take formulas and standardize it in a manner where you can actually measure it against each other. And when you have standard formulas, you're able to convert systems from one to another without affecting the odds. And to translate that in a way that most tabletop nerds will understand, all we did was we took a D20 and we flipped that upside down where one is your best number, not 20. So, you know, if you're bad at D&D, you'll be great at this game. And <laughs> the the reason why we did that it wasn't just to be all special and all. It was to effectively generate a percentage-based system, right? So in, in Ember Wind, what you're trying to do is trying to roll equal to a target number or lower than that. So let's say okay. you have an eight in a particular value. You want to roll eight or under on your D20. That translates to a 40% chance, right? And we can now completely substitute... Your gameplay systems provide provided that generates the same type of odds, but the mechanic of physically rolling a die is very different from, let's say, drawing cards from a deck. And depending on the gameplay mechanic you're utilizing, you're able to generate completely different play experiences. The uh, most common example that we use to describe this, specifically at like cons, is our deck of fate system, which is all about rewarding the role-playing aspect of the game. And the irony here about most role-playing games is that role-playing is the worst part of it because it's not actually supported by the mechanic of rolling a die. How -hmm. many times have you come up with the perfect speech, some amazing, super charismatic performance where you role-play the hell out of it and then you roll a one, right? It it doesn't matter what you said, that die just completely dooms you to failure. So... Um, Because of that, role-playing in most role-playing games has nothing to do with the R-O-L-E role-play. It has to do with R-O-L-L role-play. And (coughs) in terms of like a mechanic, that's arguably very, very bad game design because the mechanic has nothing to do with what you're actually trying to do, which is encourage people to play into the imagination and and actually role-play. So to fix that, um, again, like we use that eight as the value, right? for your target number if we Mm -hmm. switch in a deck of cards we can give you eight successes and 12 failures which totals to the same eight out of 20 odds as you would with rolling a die but this time we're able to actually concretely reward you and change your odds as you play through the scene so each time you say something to me that makes me go yeah you know what i agree with you we'll throw another success card in every time you flub i'll throw another failure card And as we play through an entire scene we'll be constructing a deck together by adding more and more cards where at the end we'll shuffle and draw, where the odds of your success have now been impacted by what you're saying not just
1: what you're rolling. That is interesting. Yeah. How does and,
0: that work for people who are not personally charismatic?
2: That's an interesting point, and that's where we have other systems that come into play. For example, we have the uh, cantrip system, which is a role-playing accessibility tool for people who want to role-play and either don't know how or struggle with it.
1: Could yep. you explain a little bit of that? Because all of this is new. I know most of our audiences uh, yeah, tend yeah, to yeah. stick with the D20 system. So this is mind-blowing for me. Yeah.
2: So um, the whole point of Amberwin is that accessibility thing, as I mentioned before. Yes. So we had to figure out ways that people who like role-playing could get in. People who uh, don't like role-playing could still play. And also the people in the middle who really want to role-play and don't know how. And... If you imagine yourself sitting at you know, you, uh, your, your RPG table for the very first time, and the DM goes to you and says, you can do whatever you want, the first reaction most players have is they completely freeze, so they have no idea uh, what that means, right? There are too option many options. options. <laughs> exactly. So what we need to do then to provide people with uh, some direction is exactly that. Give them a prompt, something to get started. So what we did was, uh, with the cantrip system, based on the class you pick, there's flavor, there's an archetype to it, there's an idea in your head of how they might act already, right? We've assigned to each of those classes 12 role-playing powers that are unreliable. You'll shuffle at the start of each encounter this deck, and you'll draw three of your 12 cards, and those abilities could be something like uh, the ability to steal something successfully, something that could be about... Uh, generating a secondary persona so the person uh, that you invent uh, suffers the social consequences of your idiot actions rather than you. Uh, it could be something like uh, let's say you randomly find um, booze in your rucksack so that you're able to you know, if you can convince someone else to drink it with you, they become your best friends, and now it factors into the Anchor and Deadweight system, which is another supportive system that we have. Um, all this type of stuff, they're they're prompts. They help you get started, and provided that you know how to or you're able to roleplay it well, you'll get the bonus on that particular card. But they're not going to be applicable in every scene, and it requires a level of creativity from you to figure out how to apply it. And if, let's say, you completely draw a blank on how these work, it still provides you with enough direction in the fact that it's illustrated things that don't work that you have more of an idea of how you can freely roleplay to achieve the same things that you're trying to do before as well.
0: And so at the same... At the same table, you could have one player who's rolling dice, one player who's using this, uh, like building a deck of fate, and another player who's using the the cantrip system to uh, get ideas and, and play their character.
2: That's correct. And even more than that, one player can use all the systems at the same time because none of these systems are hard locked. You can change your system down to every interaction, every turn, which means that if one week you're not feeling like role playing, you can just use dice if you start off not knowing how to roleplay and you're using the cantrip system as a crutch system but you get better at the game and eventually don't want to use it anymore you just throw it out the window and switch to a different system entirely
0: is there there a little bit a little element of like the skill in learning the system learning when to use which of the resolution mechanics
2: uh there's no skill involved there it's really just up to personal preference the whole point of the system is it's trying to fit you and your busy schedule as, you know, a working adult or a kid who doesn't know what you're doing or, uh, you know, whatever. The whole point is that it's trying to find a way to maximize your fun and minimize anything that would be considered
1: work, right? Yeah. Right. So like you said, not easy, but we declutter and the modular system helps make up for a lot of that.
2: That's correct.
1: One question I, I had to ask is you mentioned on a whim, encounter to encounter, we can change what modular system that we're using. So that breaks down to that percentage that you have configured. So that way, even Mm -hmm. if I change system mid-session, for example, that percentage still stands. Therefore, the mechanics themselves aren't uh, super adjusting. There's no hitch by making that switch. That's correct, yeah. I like that. Uh, It really, really beats out a lot of the complexity of other systems when you go to try to change something smaller, do something in a different way, and it generally bites people in the butt. So,
2: yeah. there's, a, there's another reason why we built this in, by the way, because when we talk about modularity, it's not just about adjusting the rules, because right? that's only one factor in determining right. whether you're going to play a game or not. Another factor, which is you know, a standard issue a lot of people playing role-playing games has, is what if they don't have someone around that can run it?
0: Mm-hmm. Or
2: what if, let's say, they don't have any friends present? right? Then you still want to play What are you going to do? Well, Amberwind is modular in that approach as well, and that it can be run completely GM optional.
0: That's what I Emberwind. was going to ask.
2: Yep. It can yep. also run single player.
1: Now, I've never done a single player style game, but I can mm-hmm. see that with mechanics that you've talked about, that modularity of building a deck or um, kind of using the prompts, kind of pre-plan a little bit there, it would really be beneficial. But what am I missing by not have tried in a, uh, a solo game
2: right so wow. you're missing a lot honestly solo games are sometimes some of the best like if i am super tired of talking to eighty thousand people at con and my introvert battery just like no nah, man you've got to spend some time just having some fun by yourself mm-hmm. solo games are where it's at right like when's the last time you booted up your your playstation and played like a final fantasy or something you know uh, your last check. right right yeah Obviously,
0: three is quite addicting right now
2: All right well at bg3 and so forth too it's about giving you that option right some people who really enjoy playing with their friends and we want to preserve that but some people prefer playing single player and some people also prefer both it just depends on the week so we needed a system that was able to effectively adapt in a particular way
0: so I, I see, like, for, for foes, you, you mm-hmm. have, which I thought was really cool, like a, a kind of a, a matrix or like a, a way yep. that the you can roll some dice and then determine what the foe is going to do, like if they're going to move, attacks, abilities. Um, veterans can, like, unlock additional abilities as the, as the fight goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle the non-combat aspect of running a solo game or a GMless game?
2: Good question. And the easiest way to answer that is the same way that BG3 is doing it. What we've done is very similar to how Larian handles things in video games, where we basically generated uh, entire storylines and every potential wrinkle and outcome that you could play through, through um, what we decided were the likely paths that players would take. And pre-scripted is effectively like a choose-your-own-adventure book. So if you play through any of our campaigns, it effectively functions the way that, let's say, um, Divinity or Baldur's Gate or even something like Dragon Age would on tabletop. And just like those games, you can play it
1: single player or with friends. Nice. Nice. So we've talked quite a bit about some of the, the modularity or the mechanics. Would you say that in a nutshell, that sums up Emberwind? Or are we still missing a little bit of what makes it magical? That's not mechanic-wise.
2: Oh, yeah. So um, probably the most magical part of this game is the philosophy behind it. Like earlier, I alluded to the fact that what we were trying to do was create a game for everyone, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't mean that just from the mechanics perspective. That comes into the art design, the graphic design, even why all of our content is laid out landscape rather than portrait. I dig that all of the content that we put together um, is something that I've been looking at to build for, for years, in fact, decades. And I've specifically come from a pretty unusual background. I mean, most people don't get into game design from a game design degree, surprisingly, but um, I walked a pretty convoluted path as someone who first specialized in philosophy and psychology before um, spending some time in occupational therapy. And then finally psychotherapy before I departed all that to start working on games. And the reason why I did that was because um, I recognized while therapy is really great and useful in a lot of ways, it doesn't reach the majority of the public and the people that it does reach, it doesn't necessarily always help. So what Emberwyn has built into it, believe it or not, is a lot of really cool psychotherapeutic principles that are there to support and help you um, feel better. It doesn't necessarily do so openly. And earlier I was talking about how we don't market it really, right? right. Um, because it, you don't need to know that stuff is working for it to work, right? Like simply having a good time with your friends is going to help you feel better than not. So right. there's a lot of this kind of invisible principle that's built into it. And similarly, if you think that everyone everywhere should have equal access to mental health, That's why we build things as accessible as we do. Um, Every component of the game is built to not only be open mechanically, but also as open as we can to people with, let's say, neurodivergence. So while this game does not feature a dyslexic-friendly font like the other games we have, uh, it is much more dyslexic-friendly than most tabletop RPG books, right? And that landscape format is part of that because that gives you three columns rather than two columns for writing which is a lot easier for people to read and digest. Um, in fact, the, the fact that I even mentioned the other games really quickly, the whole point of our entire portfolio of games is by moving through all of them, you're actually able to adapt better to normal, everyday life. Um, in quotes, normal, it's just, you know, whatever everyone everyday <laughs> yeah. life. Um, if you are, let's say, neurodivergent, um, if you start with their simplest game, Snack Tech, which has no words, then move to Dungeons & Dinos, which has some words, but they're written in a dyslexic-friendly font using a lot of cool tricks to help you read. And then moved to Emberwind, which is the exact same level of trickery that Dungeons and Dinos employs, just with none of the dyslexic-friendly font. The goal for you to progress through everything is that you'll be able to read uh, non-dyslexic-friendly fonts better than if you hadn't played through the entire suite.
0: Interesting. I like that. Um, um, yeah. Can, can I ask? Uh, do you do you maybe have an example of some of those psychotherapy aspects? That's that is incorporated in the game like is there anything you can point at and be like this has this goal
2: yeah there's a lot of that um one of the most important things in um modern day kind of struggles of people is that everyone is somehow um, paradoxically both more interconnected than ever and lonelier than ever and a large part of that comes from I mean, we can we can talk about the economy, we can talk about work hours, we can talk about everything else, that faction, but like, ultimately, that that's a struggle that everyone has. So um, a good way of finding new connections and people that you could be friends with comes from playing games, right? And if you work through a choose-your-own-adventure-style game, let's say you're playing through Baldur's Gate right now, all the decisions you're making, the fun ones, the, the most meaningful ones, are the ones that make you question like, Oh man, like this is an ethical dilemma here. Both options are good, but there are also like downsides to this. Which do I pick? Right. And it's through selecting those particular things that you're able to not only help define your character, but a lot of the time, because your character is grounded in yourself, especially for new players who don't really know how to role play, it's a great way of learning more about who you are. Not only is that true, But other people you're playing with are going to be making decisions as well. And the decisions that you're making are ones that may not be the same as the rest of your group, right? And if you think of it that way, what we're effectively doing is if you're playing through a campaign book, you're basically playing through a gamified version of a personality test where you can determine who you are and with the right type of matchmaking effectively find people who make decisions similar to you but not the same so that you're able to experience something that's cool that's different and not so different that you're like opposed to it but different enough that makes you question kind of the boundaries of who you are and grow as a person while also discovering new relationships you didn't have otherwise
0: interesting i like that yeah
1: yeah absolutely i think it's really um It's incredible how you have taken the idea of the philosophies um, of the psychotherapy to build them in, uh, and even without stating them, because these are conversations that individuals who experience uh, tabletop gaming hobbies for, like you said, decades have. But to have the forethought to build it in, I think, shows um, a profound belief in what exactly we're doing with with tabletop rpgs i mean we hear all the time that sitting down with our friends running games the dungeon master the game master the storyteller what have you they're not uh they're not therapists but you have stated nonetheless that playing with your friends is better for you than not so that forethought is uh it's inspiring for me only because I get very overloaded, even with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> having, a, having a system that would be nice to sort of, kind of turn my brain off, can be fantastic. Um, so again, mad props for that. I love that. And <clears throat> as I continue to, to look through Emberwyn's um, website, one thing that I've got a big question on is what kind of setting do you guys go for? I mean, it seems to have a nice mix. I can't really put an era on it. It doesn't look like Tolkien Middle Earth. It doesn't look like cyberpunk. It's not quite modern by what I see in the imagery.
0: The art yeah. is beautiful, by the way. It is Thank wonderful. I, I, I love it.
2: Yeah, the I had the really nice privilege of being able to work together with a bunch of my very, very talented friends who worked on AAA, everything you've ever heard of to help build this property. Um, And we are all kind of brought together by trying to make this kind of cool difference in the world. Um, That's in fact, the art and the reason why it's illustrated that particular way with that level of fidelity is because we know exactly that not everyone is going to have an easy time getting through effectively a textbook, which is how most other role-playing games are set up. So... Um, the art style that you see that's uh, in Emberwind is very evocative and it's done in a way where it, it mimics and showcases the best parts of film, right? Things that really tell a story on its own, even if you can't read a single word or don't want to.
0: Mm-hmm. I like the uh, amount of space. So you've got the full, like, I mean, it's, it's landscape and you get the full landscape for where you've got pieces of art mm-hmm. and for the character. I mean, it, it really devotes the amount of space that this art needs and I think it really...
1: Oh, yeah landscape really worked for that (laughs) I mean that's beautiful to look at I mean there's a lot of other nice advantages to landscape
2: too I don't know why more people don't do it for example like if you're playing on a table most people play on a round table and by having a landscape book it takes up less room in the middle right which is where most people put their battle maps it gives more concrete things for people to follow along in case people have difficulties with abstract reasoning makes a lot easier kids get into like why people like come on let's let's make landscape a real thing Um, yeah that's great But uh, yeah, to to answer the question about the setting, um, Emberwind's a pretty unique setting. Uh, It plays in the default world of Axia, which is, I guess the best way to describe it would be like a science fantasy universe. Uh, There are lots of cool airships um, that exist in this world. Why? Because the planet of Axia is a sad place that blew up a thousand years ago. And in the empty space, a dense toxic gas called Asthma, which kills you and worse, but I won't spoil for story reasons, has saturated kind of the whole planet. Um, Because there's so little land, everyone's had to find new ways to live, which is why so many people live on these floating kind of Victorian style airships. Uh, And that's as much as I can say about the world. The reason for that is because as you play through the game, um, be it the campaigns or your own custom content, The way the world's built is it's supposed to actually respond to you. It's not supposed to be a preset or predestined world with a lore that fits the exact particular way that you expect it to, because things change, right? The whole point of a role-playing game is to be a character going around in a story where you are influential. You're powerful enough to actually affect what the world looks like. So we want to give that to you and give that to you in spades.
0: That's I awesome. I was I was yeah. looking at the like how on, on your website you have it, like the world of Axia laid out as the, the several campaigns. Um, I assume the campaigns have those content for how you influence the the world as you pursued proceed through them.
2: Uh, it gets better. Um, yeah, so the campaigns are also cross compatible, which means that Ooh. if let's say one group is playing one story uh, and the other group is playing another story and you decide that you want to make them cross-compatible, you'll actually, by reading between the lines, realize that the two parties that are set up run counter and will screw each other's sequels. So your world is one that you can't affect because you are powerful and all that, but you're also not like an omnipotent god and actors and other people are influencing the world around you too. And you need to know how to coexist with that or react
0: to that. Cool. I, um, I see you guys have three, uh, three campaigns out, or two out, and one coming soon. Uh, the Skies of Axia, the Songweave Tapestry, and the yep. Clockwork City. Do you have one that if someone was to go into it, which one would they choose first? Uh,
2: yeah, but for different reasons. Um, so Skies was the first one re- we released. It's built for people who've never played a tabletop role-playing game before. Whereas Song Leave was a second book that was released, and it's built for people who are coming in from uh, other tabletop games who've never played Emberwind before. Um, Both of which showcase a unique mechanic. Skies has a campaign clock system where every decision you make in this game is measured against a clock. So you can't just faff about and do like a million freaking side quests because by the time you come back, you might have failed the main quest. And there are dire consequences from doing that, but you have to live with them. Whereas Songweave has a very fun system that embellishes the narrative system, where um, every time you make decisions, NPCs will go, I'll remember that, which completely changes how much trust and faith they have in you, how much secret information they tell you, how much help they provide, and so forth. Mm
1: -hmm. Now,
2: the third story that you mentioned there is one that we've currently postponed, Uh, We were developing that right as COVID hit, and then we actually pivoted our development stream from writing the standard campaign book, which was what we were intending to do originally, to digitizing all our content to make things more accessible to people, because we had no idea when the lockdowns would end. Um, Which has unfortunately also kind of burned us, because the web development team that we hired is primarily uh, and very unfortunately Ukrainian. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, led to a bit of a content drought right now for us, but we are working on some pretty cool stuff uh, in the background, and we will be dropping it as soon as we're able to actually provide the digital support along with it as well. The, um, the next drop that we're working on is a brand new type of drop. Um, it's a campaign book that will feature, at least at the very beginning, um, a prototype of a new type of design for a system that I have, which uh should, assuming we stick the landing right, effectively give you a dungeon that procedurally regenerates itself every time you enter. So it's a completely different playthrough each time you touch the book.
1: Ooh. I've tried to I like that. that. You know. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Um <clears throat> I I think that's that's all incredibly neat. And I'm following uh all these things that I was really hoping to hoping to touch on and man you flying through them. One, one question that I I tend to ask here is that as a designer, we oftentimes are told before we write our first game, write the game that you want to play. Is this what that was for you initially? Like you hadn't seen something like this, so you wanted to apply all those philosophies to it? Or is this a stepping stone to the next project?
2: Mm no yes and maybe i don't know it's kind of all the above (laughs) that's a loaded question rob yeah it is
1: it is Uh, and
2: uh so i'll phrase it this way um the game that i always wanted to play was something that i could share with everyone right something that i could get anyone to sit down and have a good time with me Mm -hmm. and that's the philosophy that is definitely um the foundation to and what gave birth to the the rise engine which is what Amberwind runs on the ability for me to sit down and play Amberwind with my wife for example who refuses to read more than 10 words at a time is phenomenal and i if anything she was part of the reason why i made this whole thing in the first place because she would not sit down and play let's say a dnd game with me um but is this specifically the game that I wanted to make and play myself? No. Um, that's not because Emberwind isn't that game. It's just not that game yet. This is a game that is unlike any other role playing game with the redefinition of how to build role playing games. We all should also have a completely different to market strategy, which mm-hmm. could completely blow up in my face, right? I, I don't know if it's going to succeed. But a large part of why we're building it this way is because i want it to be an iterative process that constantly evolves and improves and factors in every part of the community in every step of the building so uh is it the game that i want right now no um will become that eventually and it'll do so specifically from all the amazing feedback and input that the community puts into it
0: well yeah it, it sounds like it's a it's a modular game that with with every adventure with everything you put out it builds and so if if it's not what you like at the beginning, you can add more twist it, and change it with the products you've put out um you mentioned your in market strategy or two market strategy you guys were at gen Colin um you guys planned on going to any other conventions
2: yeah, we're at like all of them um just this coming weekend, we'll be at Fan Expo Canada, and then the next weekend after that, we'll be at PAX West. And, Sweet! I don't know, like a million others throughout the year.
1: That's uh, that's gonna make for a busy summer. I mean, con season tends to what for you, Eli, starts in February, right? And
0: then it's all year round. Yeah, yeah. yeah you if know, if you really want to find cons, you you can't go too far without tripping on one. Yep.
1: That's true. That's true. Um I just actually found one that I didn't know of in Indiana and I'm not too sure about it yet. I don't remember the name. It's small and their Facebook group doesn't let people comment on any of their posts. It's highly suspicious. Unusual. Yeah. It feels yeah, very it feels suspicious. that way. It feels that way. Um awesome. So as Emberwind sits and <clears throat> we look at it, I I'd love to say that it is a game I'm confident in its success, and that comes from a a fan of the art style, the direction, and the thought behind it. Um, I've got a marketing background, and it's got it's got the right key points. So as long as it's there in front of people, it, it'll it'll roll, and I've I've got no doubt about that.
0: <clears throat> I can't believe I missed it at Gen Con. It's how. If- Where where were you guys at? I mean, but GenCon is also enormous, so it's easy to miss something there. Uh,
2: I mean, we've been in the same spot at GenCon for several several years now, Um, but our booth always changes a little bit because we're always launching new and different types of products and they're always focused around accessibility. The last um, year or two, we've been really focused on pushing out a brand new IP line and card games that are catered towards even younger audiences, because we realized with Ember, when we weren't hitting the mark with everyone like we were hoping for, uh, and specifically, you know, the kids eight and under were, were missing out.
0: Now, so you really intended this RPG to hit every age demographic? Yep. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Now, knowing that, do you have intentions of finding a way to make the rule system and the mechanics scalable for younger audiences?
2: Yep, uh, they already are for, uh, for, let's say, 12 and up. Um, all you do is just drop a campaign book and play along that because unlike most RPGs where you have to digest and remember everything in the rule book or have a DM do it for you, you actually learn rules as you play and get to practice it immediately, kind of like a little tutorial message that pops mm-hmm. in the video game and then you do the thing. So it's actually really easy for, for kids to get into it. Um, for younger kids than that, The answer to that's also yes. Um, I don't know if you or anyone listening here is checking out any of our card games, but we have a very cute one called Dungeons and Dinos, where it stars a bunch of little blue dinosaurs called Nomnosaurs, who freaking love snacks and trouble. (laughs) <laughs> and that particular card game starts with them stealing their dad's D&D manual, realizing that them and their friends don't know how to read, but they don't care, and they want to go on a make believe adventure anyway, which is why they dress themselves and the entire neighborhood up, and now they're beating everyone up, up with cardboard swords and rubber mallets or fun. Um, it's, it's a really cute game, and in all of our games, there is a reoccurring character. There's a little doggo that's called Rex and Snack Attack. It's the wooful in Dungeons and, Dinos, and Uh, They are a caped crusader called the Goodest Boy in Emberwind. And the secret there is that canonically the worlds may be connected and that there is, um, eventually anyway, uh, one of the releases that we're planning on putting out is a crossover project where you get to play as the Nominosaurs in the Emberwind universe. And there will be a simplified children's rule set for that
1: as kind of, you know, baby's first D&D.
0: That's awesome.
1: I love that. I've got, uh, I've got young kids. Um, yeah, you know, I've got six, four and a newborn. So I'm always oh. looking for ways that I can get them involved. And I've went through things like babies and broadswords. I've gone through mm-hmm. little wizards and uh, they, they do it. They're okay. But I'm still looking for ways to find something that's simple enough for my youngest who has a uh, a speech delay to be able mm-hmm. to play. He's four. He can't quite enunciate words very well. I mean, you're, so. you're second youngest now. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's very true. Thank you. Um I, it's only been a little over a week and I've already forgotten about her.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't say you've forgotten yeah. about her. <laughs>
1: no, no, I I oh absolutely. She's adorable, by the way. Um, <clears throat> cool. I I love it. I'm actually looking through the Nomnivore Games website right now, and the thing that um really caught my attention on the front page was where Neuro Spicy, excuse me, neurodivergent and mental health friendly gaming. Um so again, that, that falls through with your philosophy all the way through into these games as well. Um it's it does narrow spicy? Yeah. It does say neurospicy. <laughs> That's I awesome, isn't that. it? <laughs> I I dig it. Um so as a as a question on your uh current games, is mm-hmm. Emberwind your main jam, or do you find yourself kind of wishing that there was a game somebody would run. Like mine's always space marines. Nobody runs space marines for me. So I just stick to what I know. I got it. Um you assume that as a dev I have any time to play any games.
2: <laughs> Literally all my time is either spent promoting stuff, uh working on stuff or sleeping. And the last one, it's uh, already in a dire shortage. Um I would love to be able to play more things. Um and honestly, it's a little weird. Like, I, I like a lot of different systems. I like a lot of different games. But ultimately, the game that I like to lean into as, uh, you know, PG-13 is going to sound is really what my friends are into. Because I have, like, my most fun times when my friends are having a blast.
1: That's so, fair. No, yeah. That's fair. I, do, you, I, do you find I yourself
0: think... mainly running or uh, playing when you do have the opportunity? Ah,
2: see, that, that's why I made Emberwind, so I don't have to
1: run anything anymore as i live ever VM. <laughs>
0: Yep. That's fair. I'm
1: stuck as the forever DM. So yep, yep. I get it. I get it. however, like you said, with uh with Ember, I don't have to be the DM. We can all just play. Yeah.
2: And if you do want to DM, you can also, and it works just as modularly as all the other rule sets. You can only DM what you feel like and only on the turns you feel like and the system will take over whenever you don't want to do it.
0: Now, yeah. it's it's mainly uh you said like kind of science uh science fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um do you have any intention of stepping into more of the science fiction uh, I field? do not.
2: Yeah, I do not, at least not currently. Um, mainly because I think the most fun parts for a DM or a storyteller or, or whoever is the creative stuff, right? It's creating this imaginary cool universe and whatever it is that you want. Um, the system itself is actually completely rules, or sorry, I should say lore uh, agnostic, so you can plug whatever world you want into it. It's it's really up to you. Uh, all the stuff that we've designed uh, in Axion itself is kind of the world I've always dreamt of, and I like playing in my own games. It's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, my baby, right? But um, it's not the only world that the system was designed for. Um, I feel like if I were to go beyond uh, Axia, I'd end up not doing other content justice not because i don't enjoy that type of stuff i I enjoy it greatly but it's not where my specialty is um yeah i specifically picked a science fantasy universe because it showcases consequence really well allows me to ask a bunch of of very uh thought provoking questions about uh you know psychological lessons i want to impart to people without them necessarily realizing
0: (laughs) Subliminal messages.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, hopefully nothing that subliminal. But, you know. J-
1: well, just, you know. If it, if it were, we wouldn't say it out loud anyway. So, <laughs> so now we've we've talked at, at length about Emberwind. And I know that there's more that we could talk about. But as we're coming close to the end of our average um, episode length, the big question is... Where's the easiest place for you to pick it up?
2: Good question. Uh the easiest place to pick it up is off of our website, um emberwindgame.com. And there are a bunch of different starting points. Uh the starting points are based on you, right? Again, th- this whole game is about you and what you want out of it. So if you are the, you know, no nonsense, I have no idea what I'm doing, I just want to get going type, Just grab one of our campaigns, drop it on your table, or if you prefer to play it in your browser, that's also included, and you'll get everything you need to play on Roll20, tabletops, and whatever else. If you're the type that likes to mess around with the nuts and bolts to see kind of what the system is capable of, I direct you to the Rule Set creator where you can play around with that and design your own game system. It'll tell you what components you need, and you can start playing that way. Or if you're the type that really likes your game system and you're just looking for cool inspiration to rip things from Emberwind to add to your game, please do. And all of the lore, the bestiary, all of that is available on the website for free. So you can just take a, a deep dive into whatever you're, you're interested in and just enjoy it that way as well.
0: Is, yeah, is nice. there a best virtual tabletop? Like, Is there one that has the most support for Emberwind?
2: Uh, no, not really. I think it's probably best practice right now it also depends on what type of player you are right like if you're the really experienced tabletop uh gamer and you like stuff as detailed as foundry like there are community-made foundry mods for that but people who let's say know nothing about how to like do basic coding you're probably going to be better sticking with like roll 20 or something like that tabletop sim for example is the most immersive but also costs money so like it's really your choice And you know, that's the whole thing. Every part of this is about you and your choice and we want to enable that.
0: Uh, I I
1: love it. And again, that was emberwindgame.com. So, awesome. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to sit and chat with us about EmberWind. Again, I love everything that you've presented. I love the way it looks, the way it feels and the ease of access. And the modularity are something i think is a mechanic excuse me a mechanical idea that other systems could really enjoy employing because it could cut out so much blow.
0: so awesome yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us it was a delight it was great to hear your philosophy
2: of course yeah thank you both for having me
1: absolutely anytime guys you can always check us out at epictablegames.com or on facebook and don't forget to grab your copy of Emberwind, excuse me, Emberwind at emberwindgame.com.
0: Okay, new intro. We've changed the name and we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay.